Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Color. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the shapers of the business world together with a musician shaping jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Dan Garrett, co-founder and CEO of Farewell, the wills, probate and funerals company on a mission to change the way the world deals with death. While working in a Japanese residential home in Tokyo as part of his master's at the Royal College of Art, Dan was confronted, as he says, with the ineffectiveness of end-of-life care. It was designed around comfort and mobility, but completely ignored the emotions or practicalities of preparing a person for death. Dan saw an opportunity to modernise the Victorian funeral care industry and set about becoming an expert in will writing while gaining experience organising funerals. In 2015, Dan and co-founder Tom Rogers launched Farewell, offering innovative products such as online will writing and direct cremation, as well as a vastly different customer experience from that offered by solicitors and funeral directors. Farewell now writes one in ten of all new wills in the UK. They've received multiple Best Provider Awards and they've raised over £750 million for charity through legacy pledges. I say this, and it's the first time I've ever said this on the programme, and of course it's not exactly an uplifting topic, but that's the point, Dan, isn't it? I think that's that's exactly what this is all about. It's about looking at a world that we don't want to talk about, and yet, of course, it happens to all of us without stating the bleeding obvious. It's great to have you here. Oh, it's lovely to be here. And I, I, I completely agree with what you said. Often, you know, it can be a bit of a conversation stopper if someone asks you what you do and you say, I, I'm hawking funerals. Um, <laughs> uh, and and I think often the assumption is that it's a, you know, kind of dreary, miserable thing to work in. And, and the reality couldn't be further from the truth. You know, yes, we are regularly helping people through some of the most difficult times in their life, but we have an amazing opportunity to show people how well it can be done and to help them through that grieving process. And ultimately, why it's so difficult to deal with death is because you love the people who've died. And finding good ways to connect people back to that idea is really at the heart of, of what we do at Farewell and why we started the business in the first place. The trigger, as I mentioned, was this experience that you had back in 2014, as it were, where it began the thing. When I ask people about the trigger and they go, well, yeah, it kind of evolved. I mean, how big of a, this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life moment was it versus a, well, that's interesting. I'd like to have a look at that. It's, it's always such a good point. I think about this a lot and, and, you know, I feel maybe I'll eventually get to the truth if I do enough interviews about why I started <laughs> the business. Um, I think that there's a few factors in it, as, as I always are for why someone starts a business. I, I, for some reason, always felt like I had a good, intuitive, empathetic understanding of how awful it was for people to to lose someone that they cared about. I remember just one of my teachers at school who was a young guy and his wife died. And I was so, I was just, I felt so bad for him. He's such a lovely guy who lost someone at a time that it absolutely shouldn't have done. And I remember that effect of being, you know, being surprised by my classmates not being more affected by it. How old were you at that point? Oh, probably, I don't know, 14 or something. I think, I think a really big factor for me as well was when my grandpa died, my grandpa was just the loveliest, most fantastic person ever. Just like so full of life and really joyful. And he, uh, my mum as well, is just very emotionally wise. She always knows how to deal with every situation. And I think even though it was quite clear my grandpa was going to die of cancer, um, when it happened, 
I think my mum, understandably, just had a really hard time dealing with it. And, and, you know, as a kid, seeing your parent struggle with something like that, when your parents are so unshakable and they always know what to do, I think that really left an impression on me of, wow, this can, this can even knock my mum for six, who always knows what to do in every situation. So, so and it's funny, my, my brother is a musician and, and without either of us ever talking about, you know, seeing my mum go through that, he wrote a kind of beautiful, poignant album and then the liner notes, it was very much picking up on that same experience of, of seeing our mum go through that experience of loss. So I think that impacted me a lot. Um, I went to the Royal College of Art, like you mentioned before. And one of the things I really got into while I was there was I love the aesthetic end of design, but the bit that really gets me going is very tricky human problem solving. And while I was in Tokyo and working sort of around geriatric care, we just never talked about the fact that people were going to die. You know, you're literally in a geriatric home. Some of these people were over 100 years old and all of our design work focused on the physical side of aging, getting in and out of bed and up and down the stairs rather than getting anywhere near the subject matter of, of how you look after the people who you really care about when you die. And that's when I think some of the puzzle pieces started to come together. It's funny, I've got kids and, and, and I think they all experience life differently. They all have different levels of sensibilities or sensitivities. And some people just feel things more keenly than others. It sounds like you're one of those and it's just a, na- a nature thing rather than anything else. How did you manage in those early months and years to convert that empathy into quite a hard-nosed business idea that became a business plan that then went to investors to get funding? Because that's quite a transition as well. Yeah. So I was working with a couple of friends of mine at the Royal College of Art and you have a final project there. And I remember there was the year before there was this great business called Gravity Sketch, which is still still going. It's fantastic. And they were the they were the best thing in the show. You know, eighty thousand people come to the show. And we sat down and we were like, right, we want to come up with the the best thing in, in this year's show. Our jury's out whether or not we did. But I find I have no process for coming up with ideas. It's just it's very scattergun, everything, you know, everywhere, all at once. And <laughs> Do you and, scribble though? Do you write stuff? Yeah. I do find uh, having tons of whiteboards and space really helps me to to think. And the honest truth of it is, you know, it's such emotionally rich territory helping people to to deal with death. And the industry is two hundred years in in the past. And I think the confluence of those two things, mm. I just sort of suddenly saw there's got to be an opportunity to do this better for people day to day. And it doesn't seem like there's a lot going on in that sector. You know, drive past your local sort of high street funeral director and you probably could be in the 50s. Yeah. Um, so so I think it is that sort of identifying where there isn't so much of a focus on innovation and where there's major human potential to do something better. It's those those two that kind of came together for me. And then bringing it to life, you, yeah. did you had to do an exhibition? Yeah, yeah. So, so my, my final project there was basically the first prototype of Farewell. And it was a very simple, easy to use online will writing tool. And we focused on one number, which was the percentage of people who included personal messages or funeral wishes in their wills. Mm-hmm. So rather than it solely being focused on dotting the I's and crossing the T's, it was asking the question of, can we really get people to emotionally engage in in the subject? And we went from 1% of people putting in that kind of information, which is the industry standard, to 80% of our customers writing the most amazing, poignant, thoughtful things to, you know, their partners, their kids, their parents, their best friends. And that's been in the 
strategic bullseye of how we've approached the whole sector. And it's kind of just really taken off from there. And you did that in the exhibition? We did that in the exhibition. Actually, it was quite funny because, you know, you put so much work into making this beautiful platform and a product that really works. And and we'd, we'd built it inside this kind of wooden box. And inside the wooden box was a printer. And, and you know, out of nowhere materialized this kind of mini will that was printed on A5 paper. And you always think people are going to, you know, be so thankful for the great work you've done on the website. Seeing a piece of paper materialize out from behind a wall, just that was what really <laughs> blew people's minds at the time. <laughs> but also these messages, and I've just got one here. I think it's one of your favorites, but I'd love you to sort of come back come back with another one. Um, oh, yeah, this one is absolutely fantastic. So, so, and we have the permission to share this before anyone considering using Farewell thinks we, we're violating your privacy. but. This was a guy leaving his fossil collection to his wife in his will. And he said, these are millions and millions of years old. I love being able to hold them and marvel at the age and intricacy of our universe and the short, sharp beauty of our lives. I loved living mine. I love you. And I just think you can't make that stuff up. What an incredible thing to say to someone. And, and you know, when that person dies, it's an, it, it is an amazing thing to receive alongside their assets and their house and the rest of it. Yeah. You saved me for much more emotion. It's the secret, or rather the obvious secret, I guess, in a way, but the obvious is always obvious once you've uncovered it, and that's at the centre of uh, Farewell and Dan Garrett's business, and he'll be back in a few minutes. But right now, we've got a clip from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions. They can be found on all the major podcast platforms. MDRX CEO Tom Grogan and COO Sean Rodway talk about the metaverse, what it is, why companies would wish to explore it, and the potential risks that we should all be aware of. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. The metaverse is a bit of a nebulous term. We think about it as a movement, very much a movement between the digital and the physical worlds. Today, those two things very much exist in silo. So to take an example, if you want to buy a t-shirt today, you either go in store or you shop online. All the metaverse is, is a way of blurring those two experiences. It's about making your online experience feel more physical using technology. And it's about making your in-store experience feel more immersive and experiential, again, using technology. So it's not just virtual worlds? It can be, but that's just one of the use cases. It's far, far broader. We very much think of the metaverse as a movement rather than a place. Your t-shirt example sounds a lot like what we've previously been calling ad tech, retail tech, and all of those sorts of buzzwords. So what's different here? Yeah, no, I totally agree. Metaverse isn't a technology. It's a broad umbrella term that covers lots of technologies in a very specific application. It almost always involves so-called reality technologies, so virtual reality, VR, augmented reality, AR extended reality, XR, mixed reality, MR, but it is a broad umbrella term that has been and will be called many other things as well. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former business shapers on the Jazz Shapers podcast, and you can hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. My guest there is Dan Garrett, co-founder and CEO of Farewell, the Wills, Probate and Funerals Company. So the emotion first piece 
it wasn't a marketing trick. It was actually just the truth of what made this thing so powerful. And then, as you said, the other key point around this industry being 200 years old and the confluence of those two things, hey, presto, you get farewell. I went on the website, um, which as part of my research I always do, and it's like, it's super friendly. It's easy to navigate. It doesn't feel like a negative or pessimistic or, or down thing. It's a perfectly pleasant place yeah. to be and spend time. Tell me about the designer in you as you've thought about developing the various things that you offer, because obviously design thinking is a key part of the success of the business so far. Yeah, definitely. I think there's, I've got a few thoughts on that. One is is just setting the intention right from the start that the quality of the products that you want to make is really high. And I think that that's really you know, it's motivating for me and it's motivating for everyone else in the business to know where our quality bar sits. We aim to do nothing other than create the best quality products. And for us, best means different things in different arenas. When it comes to dealing with death, you know, literally neurologically, when you're dealing with a death, your brain doesn't work properly. You can't process information in in the same way. And as a result, simplicity is the sort of first tenet of how we've approached all of this. The other part, and I can tell you, as we're the, the largest will writer in, in the UK, I can tell you conclusively that people do not want to make their wills. No, I that promise is true. And, and that probably resonates with anyone listening to this, yeah. is people will do anything to get out of making their wills. And if you have any hurdle or friction in the product experience you can say goodbye to, to conversion rates or how, how well you can you know, help people get to the end point. So, so you've got to make sure that path has no doors that are on either exactly. any side of it. You've got to keep them all closed. So exactly. Keep going, make yeah. them actually and, write the thing. And copywriting, when I started the business, you think everyone can write. And actually having to develop that clarity of thought over what you're trying to communicate and then working with really brilliant writers to bring that to life is so much of you know, great modern web design. The other part of it is on the brand end of things. I think you sort of alluded to it earlier. Fairway is bright yellow and it's very encouraging and friendly and, and empowering. And part of this is that a lot of the sector so far relies on you going to an expert. You know, you have to go and see a solicitor for £2,000 and only they can help you understand your situation. Well, actually, for the vast majority of people, they're capable of understanding what they need to do themselves. And we really come from a very sort of customer-first perspective where we build our tools to empower people to get the thing that they want. And I think that sort of momentum and energy and encouragement that we've built into our brand helps people to kind of believe that they can get the best out of it too. And in terms of the team that you've constructed, you talked about the quality of the well, quality bars, a lovely thought, and you talked about the copywriting being critical and the colors and all these things you've, you've thought about it all. In terms of these people that help you deliver that, how do you identify a farewell person? We're quite lucky in that a lot of people who work in technology, when you reach out to them and say, hello, do you want to come and work in the death industry? We'll, <laughs> we'll say, no, I don't. So, so there's a Funny you should ask, but no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so, so there's a kind of self-selecting quality of people who, who think, you know what, this is interesting, and I want to work in an area where, where I'm helping people to do something which is really hard and really awful, and I want to be there at one of the worst times in their life, which means that we are inherently getting people who are very empathetic. I think the other part of it is, for some reason, we have a very multidisciplinary team. I think you make some early hires and it kind of pans out like that, but we're really a team of generalists. So everyone is pretty plugged into 
our product experience and the way that we write things and what's going on in the rest of the company. And, and, and overall, I think that that's helped to bring a consistency to how we've designed our products that's hard to get elsewhere. But yeah, yeah, I, th- I think there's a, there's a real warmth and empathy in the people who, who've chosen to join Farewell. And, and, and luckily for us, it's quite self-selecting. And is there a warmth and empathy of General Dan as he thinks about his troops? Um, General Dan, I was saying on the on on the way here to record this that I was listening to a podcast about Napoleon. I needed that to not not overly influence my my answers here. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, I think the culture emerges pretty organically from who's in the business, and I wouldn't want to pretend that I'm always lovely and warm and, no, and, but and friendly. See, but <laughs> you seem like a fair guy. I imagine you you can be clear and firm because if the standards aren't being met, you will say the standards aren't being met, but you won't do it in a in a in a too tough way. I, I think that actually hasn't always been my strong suit, okay. to be to be completely honest. And actually the team that I have around me in my kind of direct leadership team it's you're always looking to balance those those sorts of things and you know Jenny who's our chief commercial officer is just so good at all the things that I'm I'm not good at and she's really fair and she sets really high standards and and it's been incredible to see even you know as a as it's not like we started the company a year ago even as a relatively developed company people like Jenny Nikki Michael Melissa the people I've got in working directly with me really influencing the culture, setting really high standards and, and you know, compensating for some of my shortcomings. You talked about your shortcomings. I'm not going to get you to list them all out here, Dan. Don't worry. Um, we'll, we'll do that afterwards. Um, but in terms of people around you that have been mentors to you, I know there's been, there are a number. Just talk to me a little bit about the role that they've played to help Dan become the best version of Dan. Work in progress, that one. Uh, For all definitely of us. <laughs> some of the people who've, who've hugely influenced me. The chair of our board, Tracy, who I've been working with for a, a long time. And, you know, I started the business straight out of university, so I had relatively little experience. And Tracy has, has been with the business right from the beginning and for the majority of it as our chair. So I've just learned a huge amount from her. She's, she's the kind of most consummate operational expert that I've met. And, and how does she convey that? Because often we talk about, you know, blithely, oh, yes, I've got a mentor, very useful. Yeah. But in terms of specifics, just give me one example of where her mentoring you has changed the way that you look at things. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the things she does for me is run an annual review. And there was a point in time, I think, where, you know, the people that I was working with directly were getting really frustrated. And I just couldn't hear that feedback. You know, I was I was being too stressful about everything and every time they they raise it with me directly i'd just you know come up with some excuse about why they were wrong and and tracy managed to really get me to hear that and change my behavior that's just one one example but the main way that she gets me to see the light is just by continuously proving me wrong and unfortunately she's she she has always been right about everything so so she'll just you know calmly explain to me why i should think about something differently sometimes not calmly explain to yeah. me <laughs> depends depends yeah. whether you're listening or not yeah and then i i know i i think you had a mentor called lucy who yeah. who passed away and i think she was there when you uh people don't know you had a you kind of burnt out yeah you literally yeah, had right. a, you collapsed on the street and kind of probably reassessed yeah what dan was all about and how we go about it just tell me a little bit about lucy well, yeah, so so I burnt out. I definitely was working way too hard. And I, I always thought burnout was made up. So, and then I literally collapsed in, in the street. So it was in, interesting to go through that. And I'm grateful for the experience. So that was very, it was very useful for me. Um, and Lucy 
I got introduced to actually via Tracy, who was then my coach for probably four years or something. And I've just never met anyone like her. She's just the was was and and still is the most incredible person that I've ever met in terms of um it's hard to describe what a great coach can do. Um, but someone who really is on your side through every possible environment and can help you to to you know make the right decisions and do things that ultimately help you to to fulfill your potential and and yeah like you said very sadly she died a, a couple of years ago of cancer and that was <clears throat> um probably the, the the worst grief that I've gone through on a personal level and and yeah I I I, I really miss her stay with me for my final chat with my guest there it's Dan Garrett and we've got some music from Emma Jean Thackeray that's in just a moment don't go anywhere Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mish Kondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Dan Garrett is my business shaper just for a few more minutes. I want to cover three things very quickly. You have enabled almost, I think it's about three quarters of a billion pounds to go to charities as a result of people putting them in their wills. How does that make you feel before we get into how you do it? Yeah, Great. It's, a, it's such a motivating part of what we do. And just to be clear, that's been pledged inside the wills yes. rather than has has gone to charities. But it's it's a total delight to work with. We're probably about 300 charities around the UK now directly. And we've raised money for probably 2,000 of them. And we have a big kind of scoreboard in our office that's the total amount of money pledged for charity. You know, we'll do more in a, in a year pledged than the biggest charity in the UK 10 times more than comic relief per head in our team. We're pretty much the most successful fundraising organization in Europe. Um, and was it an objective at the beginning? You talked early on about, you I know, wish state I, your could say, I wish I could say it was and that I had it all figured out in advance. I had absolutely no idea about any of this. But what you realize is that one in three pounds in the UK that goes to the third sector comes through gifts and wills. Mm-hmm. So historically, the way that it's worked is that you'll have a big charity that will do a TV campaign and then 20 years later they find out if that was a success. Yeah. What we've been able to do is work with charities to run digital first campaigns as well as TV ones, but understand their results immediately. So we give them all the tools they need to analyze campaign results. They can basically say, right, we invested 500 grand over here on this form of advertising and that's going to translate into this degree of legacy income in the future. So we're kind of giving them those modern marketing tools and the platform to be able to scale their legacy income. So if I'm a trustee listening, and I am a, I am personally a trustee yeah. of a charity as well, what do I need to do to plug into this if I'm thinking about how do I make this happen for my own charity? So it kind of depends on the scale of the charity. We work with some really small grassroots organizations where basically all you need to do is contact our team, which is on our website, farewell.com, and we can get set up in a matter of hours. Basically works via voucher codes. So you would write to your supporter base and say, do you want to make a will for free? So basically charities pay for bulk wills. And then we create co-branded landing pages and journeys and do all of the data integration side of it. And that, that genuinely works. takes back less to, than a day. Back yeah. to the frictionless point you made. Yeah. And then yeah. and then just briefly, because I've got one one thought as well about the cost of all this, and I know that's important to you. Recently, I've had some people on the, the program who talk about what happened in COVID and suddenly these incredible secrets come out and kind of, un, you know, people didn't, make a big noise about them because it wasn't the right thing to do of course if i'm right you decided to give anyone who worked in the nhs the ability to write a free will 
during COVID. And I think you, is, is that correct, firstly? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And it was almost 10,000 of them as well. I think we did 10,000 in, in a couple of weeks, which is, which right. is reasonably significant. Obviously, you know, we're in the type of business where, where during COVID demand went through the roof. I think at one point we onboarded 30 new people into the business over a couple of weeks. But yeah, you're totally right. For us, pricing is, it comes back to simplicity in the first place of just giving people a clear price that they're paying. And then it goes to accessibility. You know, there are lots of people who don't have the opportunity to spend hundreds or thousands of pounds on a will. There are tons of families who, when they lose someone that they really love, they can't afford a £5,000 funeral, even though they pay for it. So so for us, making sure that we're really leading the market in terms of quality of customer experience, but also value for money is so, so important. In terms of the future, very briefly, just before I go to your song choice, what's the shape of your business going to look like, Mr. Designer? Where are you designing this thing? How big is, is this going to be? Yeah, or, I think, or is size not the thing you're interested in? Um, so I, yeah, I don't, I don't tend to think in terms of size first. I think that we're, we're going through a really interesting period of transformation in the death industry, and we're really proud to play a leading part in that. I would love to get to a point where people really understood what their options are when death comes around, and they were able to make smart, well-informed decisions as you would for any other purchase. You know, there is no other instance in which you go down your local high street and spend £7,000 on something without shopping around. And the end point for us is, often we refer to it internally as brighter goodbyes. It's that someone who has a will, it does the job for them, and it also has these you know, thoughtful, emotional parts to it, that for someone who's going through a funeral, that they have the opportunity to really think about what the best way is to celebrate that person's life. And for someone going through the probate process, that they have a fair price and the best possible experience. And as we've been working over the last seven years to bring this to life, I think it started to have a ripple effect on other people in the sector. So, so you know, we're part of how this is changing. And for me, I really want to see us build a very well-recognized and loved brand because I think that's a lot of the solution to the problem of people not knowing where to go. It's been great talking to you, Dan. Thank you. Thank you for your openness. I've learned a lot. And I've learned about the death industry, which is kind of, again, we don't we don't talk about these things enough and it's time to start smashing these taboos properly now. Um, just before you disappear, what's your song choice? Why have you chosen it? Oh, my song choice is a song called Lazy Nina by Greg Fillingains. And I've been listening to Jazz FM since I was about 12 years old. Um, two of my friends are both really good jazz musicians and they, and they got me listening to music that I liked way more, Max and Emilio. And I remember often listening to a song with Max after school, just one headphone each. And yeah, I absolutely love it. Listen to it all the time. That was Lazy Nina from Greg Gaines, the song choice of my business shaper today, Dan Garrett. He talked about setting the intentions early in the business, right when you started up so that you get that quality bar as high as it possibly can be. He talked about the importance of simplicity. How easy is it to fall into the trap of complicating whatever it is that you're doing? And finally, the thought around connecting empathy and emotion and channeling that as you create a really powerful business, whatever it is that you're thinking about doing. Great stuff. That's it from Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazzshapers.